0: My name is Wesley Stace and this is the first section of my new novel by George. An audience knows that there is nothing better than a good ventriloquist show. To see a man and his dummy working in perfect synchronicity, yes sir, that really is something. It makes adults of children and children of adults. That ventriloquist is not just an entertainer. He is breathing life into an inanimate object. He is making that inanimate object think and breathe and feel, and he is making people believe that the figure lives. The great ventriloquist is more than an illusionist. He is a creator, a dream maker, a kind of God. And I should know. I'm his dummy. Chapter 1. I am built. I shall now do a little ventriloquism of my own. Whether I shall turn out to be the hero of my own life, or whether that station will be held by anybody else, these pages must show. To begin my life with the beginning of my life, I record that I was built, as I have been informed and believe, at Romando Theatrical Properties of Henley on Friday, the 5th of September, 1930. That, at least, is the date tattooed on the inside of my chest. I was made over a period of time. What was so special about the 5th of September? Was it when I was ordered? When the great artiste first conceived me? Or when his minions started to mix my papier-mâché? Was it perhaps the moment I was taken from the mould? Or even the date of the final stroke of his paintbrush on my flushed cheek? I don't precisely know. One thing is certain. There was always something special about me. Whereas many of my Romando brothers were bought off the peg, I was different. I was bespoke. Ever since negotiations had commenced, I had been marked out, for I was commissioned by a star as great as my father was an artiste, the most famous ventriloquist of the golden age, your own, your very own, Echo Endor. Echo Endor and Narcissus. Names to conjure with. Echo, whose famous Shana, the ocean deep of vaudeville fantasy, played all over the continent. And Narcissus, naughty Narcissus, the boy who captured the hearts of all. Do you love me? You know you do. No one had seen a boy partnered by a woman. Only men had dared say such cheeky things. Yet, when Echo first swept into Romando theatrical properties, there was no Narcissus to place her. In person... She looked somewhat smaller and older than her public might have imagined. Despite dramatic eyes, she was in many respects an average-looking woman. Her voice alone announced the presence of a true star. She spoke with astonishing vigour and clarity of tone. She was a lip-reader's dream, sidling up to C's, attacking T's, caressing S's, rolling R's and exploding P's. The clear voice was a family trait. Her father, Vox Knight, the beloved polyphonist, had employed the same ringing tone. The louder and more clearly you spoke, the more your voice was differentiated from the other voice, the voice that came from elsewhere, from up on the roof, from your boy's mouth. The greater the distinction, the better the illusion. I have come, she proclaimed, for a Romando boy. She set about his name with an aggressive purr, a cat toying with a defeated mouse. Even from the depths of his workshop, the great artiste recognised her voice immediately. Drying his hands on a towel, he untied his apron and, to the great surprise of his business manager and lady wife, Nellie, popped his head into the reception room. Nothing ever distracted him from his work. But here he was, drawn by that siren sound. Miss Endor, he said. She was pleased to be recognised, but hardly surprised. Romando, Joseph, at your service. I was the boy she had come for. Better call me boy than doll, it's a little girlish. Figure, too formal, or dummy, for obvious reasons. So you can understand why perhaps I do not flatter myself in the assumption that especial care was taken in my creation. Deposit down, I was built. The prime architect, the great artiste, was my father, the legendary Joseph Romando. Oh, there were great craftsmen before, and many will follow, but to be a Romando boy is something special. Compare the dull and emotionless faces of my predecessors, Narcissus and his acneed ilk, with mine. My fine, soft skin tones, my stylish side parting, not to mention the flexible chamois leather that I call lips. Tell me I wasn't sired by a kinder, cleverer man. My father made superior sons in every way. He sent his boys to the best schools and gave us the most magnificent mops of hair, often worn beneath impishly tipped school caps. His brushes were more delicate, his sculpture more sensitive, his mechanisms more innovative. But greater than any of this, he gave us each a personality. It was as though we had character before we met our partners, in some cases, sadly, more. The day of my delivery was upon us. I was placed on the ottoman that the great artiste regularly used to display his boys on first presentation. I was lifeless, yet brimming with potential. My father wrung his cap like a sponge. Nellie walked in behind Echo, who barely a moment later proclaimed, Yes, 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 I knew it, I knew it, the great Romando, a miracle child. She loomed over me. May I? Miss Endor, of course. Consider him yours now. She picked me up, letting her finger fall across my lips, slipping her hand quickly into my back, feeling her way in the darkness. I was about to speak for the very first time. And now, and now, nothing. She laid me back on the ottoman without particular care. The very boy I was looking for, Mr Romando, to you I say, many, many thanks. My father picked me up again, patting the back of my head. He was saying goodbye. All three went to the office, me in the arms of my maker, to sighs of mutual appreciation and nervous coughs that presaged the exchange of money. From behind the counter, my father lifted a plain but durable black box with simple metal handle and engraved brass plate. Upon it was written, For Echo Endor, and beneath this, in the most florid of all scripts, Romando Theatrical Properties of Henley. I see, sang Echo. How thoughtful. She drummed her fingers next to the banknote she had unfolded on the glass counter. But I'm afraid it's not for me at all. Not for you? Disappointment sighed over Nellie's question. She had pictured an official endorsement on their new print advertisements, Makers for Echo Endor, the ventriloquial equivalent of By Royal Appointment. We thought... Echo regarded her blankly. For me? But I have Narcissus. You surely didn't think? (laughs) Our public wouldn't stand for it. For Echo Endor, there can be only one boy for all time. No, no, this is a birthday present for my son. My father looked down at me, full of pride, as he massaged his beard. I was my own reward. He busied himself with the box, which didn't look big enough. He undid the two catches and lifted the hinge lid back, revealing the abyss within. Don't put me in the box, I thought. Not for the last time. My father scooped my legs up beneath me and, bending me double, put them level with my ears, one foot on each shoulder. Then, taking me by the middle, he placed me carefully in the opulently lined case so that my hips were on the bottom of the box and the soles of my black leather shoes faced up. He swivelled my head to the left to avoid any damage to my nose and closed the lid. A key turned in the lock. Their voices were muffled. Your son, said my father, does he dream of following in the magnificent footsteps of his grandfather and mother? He will, said the ventriloquist, if I say so. Well, this boy has a name, said my father, handing her the key. We name all our creations. Oh, said Echo without curiosity. Yes, they're all very much part of the family. This one we call... I heard him quite clearly as he turned around to christen me. This one we call... George. George. What a name. How manly. How noble. How royal. How easy to say without moving one's lips. Oh, no, 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 I think not, said Echo. We'll need something cheekier, something more suited to little children. I rather like... Whatever she said remained a mystery, for she spoke as my presentation box, hoisted by the handle, lurched upwards with a sea-sickening heave. Presently I began to swing to and fro more agreeably. A small bright light shone in on me, illuminating a precise green keyhole on my blazer. I was outside Romando's theatrical properties for the first time. My journey had begun. Although I can't say precisely when I was born, and can be most specific about the date I spoke for the first time. May the 12th, 1931. I passed through at least two pairs of hands before my journey from Romando's was over, and when I landed, I waited, and I waited, gestating in that dark wooden womb. Nothing at all happened. Time passed. A clock chimed every 30 minutes. For months. Finally. Finally, tension began to build, as though an orchestra were tuning up. Then I distinctly heard that voice. No, no, I say no, the guest of honour must sit here. Oh, and I shall put the romando, my box swooped through the air, a baby in an eagle's mouth, behind here. The best silver was laid under Echo's direction as the hushed whispers of wary servants scurried around me. Just as it seemed that one more U-turn on the settings would drive them to murder her in cold blood, all was done, and she spoke with a new serenity. There we are. Thank you, thank you. Quite charming. The guests will start arriving. With the chime of a doorbell, the party began. I was to be the main event. I was soon surrounded by merriment and spillage by drinking, toasting, arguing, smoking and throat clearing. A big moment was upon us. Crockery and cutlery clinked from my path as I was placed on the table. It was time. I heard a woman's voice. Hey, let me out of this box. There was laughter. Let me out of here. Give me to Joe. Joe. Her son was called Joe. What a rum coincidence. My father, Joseph, my partner, Joe. It surely boded well. Echo, you'll give it away, came a solitary complaint. Let him see for himself. Yes, sighed Echo. They put the wrong name, my name, on the box. I believe they actually thought I was going to replace Narcissus. Ridiculous. We'll have that redone. Your name instead, Joey. Go on, then. Open it. Light poured in. Whatever is it, Joe, a treadle fretsaw? Joe said nothing. My feet tumbled beneath me as he lifted me by the shoulders and sat me on the edge of the box, the rest of the party behind me. Here he was, my partner, my ventriloquist, the straight man who would set me up for a million punchlines, repeat my jokes purely so people at the back could hear. I looked at him. He looked at me, but coldly analytically, as though he had never wanted a boy to call his own. Shouldn't he have cracked a smile by now? "'Well?' asked Echo, somewhat impatiently. Still Joe held me in scrutiny. He was twenty, or twenty-one, but he appeared older. His was an awfully good face, I told myself, that strong chin, that gleaming head of perfectly ploughed hair, those deep, sad brown eyes. "'Only the best, Joe!' Echo continued, supplying the enthusiasm that was lacking in her son. It's a Romando. They're the very finest, and Signor Romando was so honoured. I'm sure Ogilvy won't mind. Good Lord, I've bought him enough business over the years. If I'd had a boy that good when I began, she thought better of it. Happy birthday. Say something, Joe, beseeched an earnest relative, mindful of Echo's moods. In a lightning moment, Joe stood, put one foot on the chair and picked me up, sitting me on his knee. He slipped one hand into my back and with the other gripped the lapel of his dinner jacket. What was he going to say? What was I going to say? I surveyed our audience. It was as though someone had opened a tin, a party assortment of hard and soft centered guests, and scattered them about the room. A dependably jolly vicar, a trembling leaf of an old woman with perpetually quivering chin, a middle-aged impresario in bright yellow waistcoat, sucking the life out of a cigar, and sitting at Echo's side, a dashingly handsome young male lead, not many years older than Joe. Rather than her son's friends, Echo had invited her own. All eyes were upon us. The silence was broken by my first ever words. "'Thank you for buying me for him, Mrs Endor,' I said, looking at her and nodding at Joe. He's exactly what I've always wanted. This bon mot was met with laughter and applause. My top right lip sneered and out popped a small white wooden cheroot. More applause! I smiled and raised my eyebrows. So far, so good. Raise ipsa loquita, declared the vicar. I thought magic was his forte echo, said the yellow waistcoat with a guffaw. Watch out, he'll be as good as you. Echo managed a smile. "'Now a name!' she said. The excitement of naming me raised eyebrows around the table. "'George!' I said without hesitation. There was no doubt about it. A general cooing of approval confirmed the choice. "'George!' his mother grimaced. "'That was what Romando named him. "'How did you know that? "'No one wants a schoolboy called George!' George, that's my name, I said, winking at the assembled crowd, who took up my cause in a moment, claiming that such coincidences could not be easily dismissed, that I was every inch a George, and that it was still a very popular name. No, Echo pouted. Take it from me. George is wrong. I was right about Narcissus, and I'm right about this. You should call him, she had the name ready, Pip Squeak. Pip Squeak? Pip bloody Squeak? It wasn't even a real name. Pip might conceivably be Dickensian for Philip, but Squeak? Squeak? I don't sound like a mouse. Oh, that's too much, the vicar appealed to Echo. Let the boar boy call him what he will. The matinee idol to Echo's right began to repeat, George, 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 a tribal chant taken up around the table until Echo begged them pleaded with them to stop. No more, Derek, please, please. She covered her ears and sighed in an unsaintly display of martyrdom. George it is, but don't blame me. Well done, child. The vicar beamed, a proud father congratulating an eight-year-old for offering the last boiled sweet to a guest. A glimmer of charity remains, despite the heathen name. Echo groaned at this obligatory jovialism. Heathen, inquired Derek earnestly. Echo? No, no, Endor, said the vicar, delighted to be asked, installing himself for a sermon. Ventriloquism began, one might even say found its voice, in the biblical story of the witch of Endor, 1 Samuel 28, and his servant said to Saul, Behold, Echo yawned, Cake! she exclaimed, and in the cake was wheeled, iced in large letters upon its vivid mint frosting, was the unfortunate wish, happy 21st birthday to Joe and his new friend, Pip Squeak. George, he said later that same evening, reflecting on the small victory with satisfaction as he placed me on his knee in front of the mirror in his bedroom. It didn't seem the room of a young man about town, more a dark and dusty theatrical museum, show posters papered every square inch of the walls not covered by bookshelves, outcrops of books made little islands in the sea of blue carpet. Hello, Joe, I said. Happy birthday. You're a handsome devil, aren't you? I hadn't heard him use his own voice downstairs. He had spoken only through me, He seemed a little frail for his strong chin and evidently flexible vocal cords. Perhaps he needed me as much as... more than I needed him. Why, thank you, I replied. You're not too bad yourself. As I'd suspected, his technique was breathtaking. You couldn't tell. That aside, my voice was a marvel. The limitations of a mediocre ventriloquist dictate that he will, quite sensibly, choose as his partner either a drunken toff, because slurring is easier than enunciating, or a schoolboy with a high-pitched voice, because good voice production is daunting. But my voice was rich in tone. It was cheeky, yes, charming too, if I say so myself, and quite, quite clear introductions then. I'm George, as you know. How did you know my name was George? How did I know your name was George? Yes, how did you know my name was George? Best to play along. This crackling, rapid-fire dialogue, our two voices so perfectly distinct, it was spellbinding. A receipt on the inside of the case. There it was. George, sold to Echo Endor with the date and the price, of course, a snip too. You're George, I'm Joe Fisher, I'm 21 today and you're my present. My father was called Joseph, I said, keen to reignite the banter. Well, I'm just Joe. I'm named after one of your forebears, the most famous of all. I thought about this for a second before the penny dropped. You're named after Costa Joe? He nodded. Your mother is Echo Endor and she named you after a ventriloquist, dummy. Fred Russell and Costa Joe. I could see them as clear as day. Joe in his pearly gear with a voice that could cut glass and Fred Russell, softly spoken, clean-shaven, immaculate in evening dress. The world had not seen their like when they walked on stage together at the Palace in 1886. Fred was the father of modern ventriloquism, their act the original. But still, you shouldn't name your son after a... dummy. Well, look on the bright side. At least she didn't call you naughty Narcissus. At the mention of the name, his fingers slackened inside me. George, I have bad news. My head moved around slowly so I was facing him. I don't want you. He didn't. What? If it was a joke, he wasn't smiling. His eyes never left mine. I don't want you he repeated. But, but, but you could be the greatest ventriloquist in the world. The technique, the lips, the manipulation, you've got it all. We were interrupted by two loud knocks on the door, which, without invitation, opened to reveal echo in oriental nightdress of tangerine and plum. She lifted her arms over her head, twirling like a human flame before she came to rest, one hand on each side of the door. Joe snapped to attention, caught red-handed. Darling, you're hard at work already. What a wonderful, wonderful present. But I will say, don't be foolhardy. I always warn of the hazards of premature laryngeal overexertion. She floated in and kissed him, depositing an outsized aubergine smudge on his forehead, which she then rubbed distractedly with the heel of her right hand as she considered the furnishings. Let's decorate! and with a final birthday wish made her exit. The room breathed a sigh of relief. Is that why you don't want to be a ventriloquist? I asked, when the coast was clear. Who said I didn't want to be a ventriloquist? I'm going to be the greatest ventriloquist of all time. At last! This was more like it. This was what we wanted. So you were only joking. You do want me. No, I don't. But if you want to be a ventriloquist, you need me. You need a boy. I'm the focal point. Everybody thinks the voice is coming from me. It's genius. Fred Russell and Costa Joe. Coram and Jerry Fisher. Echo Endor and nauseating Narcissus. I know. So what do you want if you don't want me? Surely not a girl or some species of animal assistant. It was too perverse to contemplate. The audience would never stand for it. I don't want anything, George. You're a nice boy, but... The dummy is the death of ventriloquism. <laughs> well, he was a good ventriloquist, and no mistake, but evidently something of a crackpot. The dummy is ventriloquism. You might be forgiven for thinking that, George. Have you ever heard of my grandfather? Vox Knight? Yes. No, I've never heard of him. Vox Knight didn't need a boy. He only needed a voice. A voice? A lone voice. Oh, Joe interrupted himself. There's someone at the door. As he pointed, I turned around. There was a little knock, followed by a muffled voice that I took to be echoes, telling us to be quiet. Practice tomorrow, darling. Bedtime for Jojo. Shut up, yelled Joe. Shh, don't say that to your mother, I begged, secretly impressed by his spunk. Mind your own business. Go back to Narcissus, said Joe, getting up and going towards the door. I accompanied him unwillingly, closing my eyes like the child who thinks no one can see him. As he threw the door open, I winced in the face of the impending confrontation. Nothing. Nobody was there. Where is she? I said. He popped my head out, and I looked left and right down the hall. She was never there, he said, and smiled before announcing, I'm going to be the greatest ventriloquist in the world did you do that? I asked, narrowing my eyes as I checked the hall one final time. Distant voice ventriloquism. I threw my voice. Out there? Yes. From back there? Yes. I thought about it as he closed the door. It's good, I said impressed. What an act! Then I remembered that the act excluded me. So you're taking me back to Romando's? I can't. You're a gift. I'm staying, he nodded. Can I stay out? Can I watch you practice? I mean, there's no need to put me back in the box, is there? Perhaps there's a way, I mean, with the distant voice and you and me, I mean, if you could... But there was no time to finish the thought. He had set me down on a burgundy armchair next to a pile of books. At eye level was The Memoirs and Adventures of Mr Love, the celebrated ventriloquist. Above it a hefty green volume called The Adventures of Valentine Vox, the ventriloquist. Curiouser and curiouser. I was Alice through the looking glass. To subscribe to The Writer's Block and hear more stories, please visit www.kqed.org slash writersblock. The Writer's Block is produced by KQED.